Hi, I'm Copthorne MacDonald, and this Wisdom Page podcast episode is titled Dealing with Reactivity, Part 2. Content is adapted from Chapter 6 of my book, Toward Wisdom. A quiet mind is the platform from which easy observation of mind contents is possible. By quiet mind, I mean the state that exists when awareness is present, but the level of informational activity is low. When there is little or no thinking, planning, remembering, fantasizing, or reacting going on. What reveals itself in the absence of mental activity is our fundamental psychological state of being, the foundation of mind. It is a non-identified state, or if identification is present, it is identification with being. It is a state of causeless happiness, a state of equanimity and energized but peaceful attentiveness. It is a state of desirelessness, contentment, and basic trust. It is a state of egolessness, It is a state in which the wanting and condemning psychological activities, reactive emotion, and the intellectual tailspinning that goes with it have been surrendered. It is a state of psychological peace, coupled with a readiness to act out the promptings of wisdom and love. The relationship between this still foundation of mind and its informational content is similar to the relationship between a radio station's transmitted carrier and its program. If you tune across the FM broadcast band with one of the older receivers, you hear a loud hiss between stations. The hiss corresponds to nothingness, to no reality at all. When you tune to a station's frequency, the hiss disappears, and if there is no program content at the moment, there is silence. The energy carrier the station sends out corresponds to being, still, quiet, but powerful and enabling too. What it enables is the transmission of the program, the show. The show modulates the carrier, changing the carrier's frequency in FM or its amplitude in AM. The physical reality is the carrier itself. The show is an informational pattern encoded in the instant-to-instant changes impressed upon the carrier. Always present is the silent, enabling, but informationless carrier, whether or not any informational modulation is present. In the case of the mind, there is also a silent, enabling, but informationless carrier. We call it pure awareness, or absolute subjectivity, or consciousness without content. And in the case of the mind, the modulating information is every variety of mind content, the subtle emotions of being, intense reactive emotions, thoughts, fantasies, smells, sights, sounds, bodily sensations, the sense of time, the sense of identity, and memories. All of it generated by firing brain neurons. The intensity of the modulation varies. Sounds can be loud or soft. Visual scenes can be intensely bright or barely visible. Pain can be excruciating or barely felt. 
In a profoundly quiet mind, the intensity of the modulating information would be near zero. Yet the carrier, silent awareness, peaceful attentiveness, will be fully present. Yes, underneath every noisy reactive mind supporting it and enabling it to exist is a quiet, peaceful, loving mind. Happiness is available to everyone and right here. Seems almost too simple. Happiness, love, and peace simply are when reactivity and mental distractions are absent. Most people in our culture look outside themselves for happiness and for the causes of their unhappiness. Unhappy people try to modify the external situation until it gives them what they want. Somewhat happier people direct their efforts at keeping things the same. They're afraid that life's changing circumstances will take their happiness away. Does this externally oriented approach make sense? Think for a moment about what happiness is, your personal experience of it, and the circumstances under which you experience it. We speak of moments of happiness, and our experience of happiness usually is momentary. When do the happy moments arrive in your life? Mine often come just after some longing has stopped. Typically, I have been in a wanting state of mind. The wanting might have been intense or subdued, but I wanted something. To get a phone call from someone, to eat, to get a special piece of mail. Then that want suddenly ended. When the phone rang and it was the person I wanted to hear from, when I sat down to eat the meal, when I opened the mailbox and saw that it contained the mail I had been waiting for. We normally think that happiness results from pleasure. Looking carefully, however, I've seen that my happiness is connected not so much with pleasure as with the absence of desire, the absence of wanting. I'm happy whenever I don't want things to be any different from the way they are. In the examples above, happiness arrived right after the wanting stopped, but before the anticipated pleasure started. Happiness arrived before I actually began the telephone conversation, before I consumed the food, before I read the letter. Happiness exists in that brief moment when the pain of wanting has stopped and the next pleasure has not yet begun. In that brief moment of freedom from reactive desire, what exists is the primal background state, happiness, being itself. When we uncover this basic state, we find that it has several aspects, mental, emotional, and physical, and that certain qualities are attached to each. The subjective state is characterized by alertness, attentiveness, awareness, a listening-like quality. Sensory perceptions are clear and distinct. The intellect is inactive. The occasional thought may arise and disappear, but there is no discursive thinking going on. Emotionally, there exists a quiet state, free of reactive emotions like anger, fear, hate, wanting, craving, greed, envy, jealousy, etc., except perhaps for occasional isolated impulses. Often, one or more subtle emotions are present, the emotions of being, equanimity, loving-kindness, joy, wonder, 
peace or tranquility, gladness, etc. A Hindu might speak of Ananda, the bliss aspect of Brahman. Physically, there is a state of stillness and peaceful readiness, free of agitation and the compulsion to do, but ready to act when wisdom dictates. Awareness, love, peace. It's what everyone is looking for and is right here at the core of each of us. Being feels like the fundamental basic me. When I allow myself to relax into that state, I recognize it. I've often been there in the past without realizing it. When lying on a hillside watching the clouds go by, when doing something special for someone, when responding to the need of the moment without thinking, just organically doing what needs to be done, when watching a tiny baby settled into its place of being, aware, watching, peaceful, happy just to be. Our culture doesn't tell us that this mental space is always available, let alone how to find it. It tells us to go for pleasure and settle for brief moments of happiness. It tells us to want a lot and then satisfy those wants. It's a well-kept secret that happiness inheres in being and is always available. It's not a secret in some circles, of course, but it is in the mainstream culture. Wanting is one form of reactivity that disturbs our inner peace. Anger is another. In North American culture, attitudes toward anger have differed from class to class, region to region, and era to era. Within my memory, the culture encouraged many of us, especially women and racial minorities, to repress anger. We were encouraged to deny it, to shove it under the rug of consciousness. Today, partly in response to the negative effects of that approach, anger has become acceptable, sometimes even fashionable and trendy. In certain activist circles, for example, if you are not angry about what your group seeks to change, you are not considered a true supporter. Anger can be a motivator. There's no doubt about that. That's why evolution built it into the limbic brain. But it is also a great disturber of inner peace. And there are other equally effective motivators. The wise ones have a secret. Anger just gets in the way. The Buddha likened anger to a burning coal that you are holding in your hand. Your anger hurts you. Anger is painful and interferes with clear thinking and intuitive openness. The Dalai Lama is called being motivated by anger, quote, very dangerous, very risky, unquote. Vaclav Havel said that anger never played a part in his political protests. Even in prison, he was never angry with his political opponents or his jailers. Wise people don't need anger as a motivator. When they see from an intellectual and intuitive perspective that a situation needs to be changed, that is motivation enough. For them, anger serves no useful purpose and they don't cultivate it. When impulses of anger arise, they don't act on them or repress them. They take that third way. They note them and let them go. We too can do it the wise way. We can defuse and transcend anger by broadening and deepening our view of the situation. We can ask what's really happening and why. 
We can try to identify the impersonal forces at work. We can look for the troublesome values at the root of the problem and attempt to discover how they became established and began to take control. By deepening our understanding in this way, we deepen our compassion and our ability to let go of anger, while at the same time gaining insights that will help us act effectively. Understanding transforms. Happiness and inner peace are aspects of our root psychological state. They are not acquired. We don't find them through seeking and action. Instead, we discover them through inward recognition and by letting go of emotional reactivity toward informational patterns that arise in the mind. Stillness is a choice that we make. It's always there. We could drop our wanting, hating attachment to mind content at any time, but we don't. We could detach, step out, and watch from that quiet, motionless center of being, but we don't. Instead, we constantly seek. We try to improve ourselves, transform ourselves, make ourselves better. It doesn't accomplish what we would like, but our efforts at transformation eventually take us to the realization that seeking is a dead end. We seek until we realize that seeking is itself the problem. At that point, a real transformation, a deep and effortless transformation, begins. Happiness and pleasure really are two different things. It is possible to be happy even though experiencing physical or psychological discomfort. This happens after we have spent enough time in the quiet mind state. It happens when we start seeing things from a state of centered equilibrium, detached from the show. It happens when we start seeing ourselves as awareness and the informational show as just a show. It happens when we start to disidentify with that show. This detached, disidentified mental space is characterized by a nonchalant, take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward pleasure and pain. At some level, pleasure may still be preferred over pain, but it is now merely a preference, not a necessity. There is no compulsion to go after the next pleasure hit and no compulsion to rid the mind of present pain. From the still quiet vantage point, the show is seen to be informational modulation, nothing more. It is seen to be simply a dance of differences. From this perspective, we are able to accept whatever information is present without feeling compelled to change it or escape from it. This vantage point is always here, always now, always available. Making a flip to this perspective in a lasting way comes when we arrive at the gut-felt conviction that it truly is the best possible vantage point. Sensible, positive, appropriate mental hangout. This normally happens only after many hours spent practicing mental quiet and numerous episodes in which we abandon the quiet for the seductions of the show. That ends part two of the thoughts on dealing with reactivity, which I presented in chapter six of my book, Toward Wisdom. Thanks for listening, and check out the many wisdom-related resources available on the Wisdom page. It's at www.cop.com. I'll spell that out, www. 
www.cop.com. Bye for now.